Well, brothers and sisters, I bring you greetings from God's people in Charlotte, North Carolina. When I left uh, Charlotte this morning, the, uh, the weather at 5.30 in the morning was rainy and miserable and cold. It was great to enter the sunshine as I came to the Midwest in the airplane uh, this morning earlier. It's my great privilege to be here. This is a, a solemn but also very uh, joyful occasion, as you probably know, it is both. In the 18th century, there was a gospel preacher named Edward Payson, and he was a noted man of God, served the Lord diligently all his life. As he lay dying, he said, uh, these famous words, if ministers only saw the preciousness of Christ, they would not be able to refrain from clapping their hands with joy and exclaiming, I am a minister of Christ. I am a minister of Christ. Indeed, what joy there is in being a servant of the living Lord. Brother Taylor, I am so grateful to be with you today, to have been invited to be with you today, to be with these dear people, to serve uh, them in this day as you will serve them in days ahead in this important work for Jesus in Ohio. I'm so grateful uh, for your work among these dear people. I want to serve the saints here this afternoon by reflecting on a brief vignette from a very distant scene in ancient Israel. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to the Old Testament, to the second book of the Kings, Second Kings, chapter 6. You're also welcome just to listen if you'd like. And I'm just going to be reading the first seven verses from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, or 1 to 7. Hear now the word of the living God. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and he took it. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, that you would bless our time together, and that we would know that as we set Taylor apart, 
All we are doing is recognizing that you have set our brother apart to serve you in this glorious ministry. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always extraordinary, is it not, that despite the mists of time that cover millennia now, several millennia, despite a very different culture, a completely different language, despite a different covenantal administration in the Old Covenant, despite all of that, these various stories from the Old Testament seem to have elements that are so current to our daily experience. Surely it is true. There is nothing new under the sun. In this brief story that I've read, we have a scene from the life of the man of God named Elisha. This prophet had received a mantle of leadership that was once possessed by another with a similar name, Elijah, even as Taylor is entering a ministry that others have already labored in, both teaching and ruling elders here. Uh, he enters a ministry that's already had others that have formed it. So did Elijah. So did Elisha in the, uh, in the train of Elijah. We all are following other servants of God. And one day, we'll all give up the mantle of leadership to others who come after us. So it is, so it ever will be, until Christ returns and all such ministry is over. But Elisha was a man in covenant with the Lord, a man whose burden and blessing it was to speak the very word of God. He was a prophet of God. And Taylor, among the many things you are, husband and father and friend and son and 3D printer guy and all the other things you do, technology man, all the other things you are and do, counselor of the Word of God, you are at your core to be a minister of the Word of God. You will indeed administrate many things here at Stonebridge Church. You will visit the sick, those in hospital. You will look for and reach out to and greet visitors to the church. You will train qualified men for eldership in the church. You will moderate the session here, call them to gather together, pray for your brothers in ministry here. You will serve in church courts. You'll do many other things. And especially will you pray. My friend, you will pray now like you've never prayed before. But above all, what you will do is minister the word of God to the people of God. This is the prophetic aspect of your office. It is a prophetic office. As the old commercial says, it's what we do. It is what you do to minister the word and you must continue to to do so we are ordaining you setting you apart for a role in a prophetic office this afternoon your prophetic office is the center of the bullseye for you there are other parts of that bullseye but at its center is the ministry of the word like odysseus in greek mythology you must lash yourself 
to this central mast of a biblical ministry. And like those sailors that worked for Odysseus, you must put wax in your ears to resist the siren calls of the so-called experts today to be a more effective, cool, and successful minister through easier means. Dr. David Wells is a name I know you're probably familiar with, Taylor, a great um, observer of the church today and, and uh, academic and, as well as a, a minister. And David Wells, in one of his excellent books, wrote this. It is one of the remarkable features of contemporary church life that so many are attempting to heal the church by tinkering with its structures, its services, and its public face. This is clear evidence that modernity has successfully palmed off one of its great deceits on us, convincing us that God himself is secondary to organization and image. An inspired group of marketers might find a way of reviving a flagging business by modifying its image and offerings, but the matters of the heart, the matters of God, are not susceptible to such cosmetic alterations. The world's business and God's business are two different things. The fundamental problem, he writes, in the evangelical world today is not an inadequate technique or insufficient organization or antiquated music and those who want to squander the church's resources bandaging these scratches will do nothing to staunch the flow of blood that is spilling from its true wounds. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon his church. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign, his gospel is too easy, and his Christ is too common. But here in 2 Kings 6, we do see a picture of a truly successful and blessed ministry, the ministry of Elisha. Elisha was a blessed man in that his school of the prophets, you can think of it as a mentoring school or a, almost a kind of ancient seminary. This school of the prophets had grown to the point that they needed a new building to house the fellowship. Now, Taylor, I have seen the ministries that you have committed yourself to in Charlotte, the ministry with our youth at our church ministries and counseling that you and I have talked so much about. I've seen how these things have flourished as you've put your, your heart into them. I believe something similar may well happen here as well. As the church here grows, like Elisha, who told his men to go out and cut trees by the, by the Jordan River, I know your goal is to have the members of your church sense their own responsibility for not only their own spiritual lives, but for faithful churchmanship, which is so deeply related to the spiritual life of a person. As the church here grows, remember that you're not responsible for building the house of God by yourself. It will sometimes seem easier, frankly, especially in a small church, 
which most of my ministry has been in, it will seem easier just to do it yourself. But don't do too much of that. In fact, part of your calling is to remind the church militant that every man, every woman in, is in the army of the Lord. And we think of how today in the Ukraine, everyone seems to be rallying together to resist the aggression of their neighbor. There needs to be a spirit of everybody in it in the local church. And that's a great spirit to engender. This is a shepherding ministry that we are ordaining you into, not a commanding ministry. You're not to be a, a, an army sergeant, but a shepherd of God's people. And so warn the church of the danger of their adopting a kind of consumer mindset for their own congregation as though they would say once you're able God willing to have staff and if you grow as a congregation to say let let the pastor and the staff take care of it let them direct it all it's not a healthy mentality in fact my suggestion is and I know we don't do this at sovereign grace but my suggestion is if you ever have a staff don't even call them a staff <laughs> call them something else because your goal is not to prove to the church that you can do something for them as a staff that's absolutely, that nobody else could possibly do. That sense of messiahship in the ministry is a dangerous thing. Your goal is to prove to the church that they too are in the ministry, that everyone has holy ownership of the project under the Lord's own leadership. I mean, Elisha, Elisha did not even have to suggest a building program for the school of the prophets. It came from one of the students themselves. They said, let's build something. You will lead them, Taylor. But you also must be with them. Be a leader who stands shoulder to shoulder with the people as they labor in the kingdom and for the kingdom. This is a collegial office, in other words. It's not at the top of a pyramid, but you stand with others as you lead them. One of the sons of the prophets asks Elisha to go with them to the tree harvest down by the river. And that novice called himself and the other brethren the servants of Elisha. And so they were. Yet Elisha was a servant to them as well. And he is immediately willing to join them in their manual labor. Brother, your elevation in the church is not due to your person or your piety, but your office, the office to which we ordain you today. It is a glorious office. But share with the people, Taylor, as you are able Share with them the routine and burdensome things of ministry and service and share with them in it yourself. At times, in other words, you should swing the axes right next to them by the muddy river. Let the tenor of your ministry among your fellow Christians be brotherly, not lordly. Everything I know about you tells me you will do just this, but brother, do it. The office into which we ordain you is a shepherding office, not a commanding office, as I say. Uh, Frederick the Wise, the great uh, Frederick of Saxony, who was the uh, 
patron and protector of Martin Luther, without that political influence, without that great prince of Germany, uh, you know, the Protestant Reformation likely would not have happened and we wouldn't be standing here today. But Frederick the Wise had a, 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 a carriage, horse-drawn carriage, and he had a Latin phrase painted across the carriage. In English, that phrase is this, gentle in manner, strong in truth. And that's what I would commend to you, my friend. Gentle in manner, strong in truth. And Taylor, the truth is, if you do all these things as faithfully as I have suggested, the truth is trouble is still going to come because that's what it does. I mean, look at this story. Nobody is sinning in this story. Uh, the story of the Lord's lumberjacks in 2 Kings 6, as I call it. Nobody is acting in bad faith down by the river. Nobody has the wrong philosophy of ministry. Nobody has hurt another brother. But in the middle of all this godly and good work, an axe head, a borrowed axe head no less, and this was in the Iron Age, and those iron axe heads would have been the equivalent of a John Deere tractor to us, enormously expensive, tremendously valuable. It was a borrowed tool. And it flies off the axe handle as he swings the axe and lands in the middle of the river. Stuff happens, as it did here, in the ministry, in the life of the church. Unexpected things happen. Yes, providentially ordained before the foundation of the world. But it still happens. To our experience, it comes out of the blue. And when that happens in the life of the church, when unexpected trials and tribulations come to the congregation, it's really important, brother, that you not behave uh, nervously or with panic like a bird on a wire. When the disciple of the prophet tells Elisha with great anguish in his voice, and you can almost hear it through all these centuries, uh, that this axe head is lost. I mean, this is like, a, again, a John Deere tractor getting thrown into the river. It's a huge loss in this time. But Elijah, Elisha doesn't uh, scream out in angry, invective at the men. He doesn't complain about the church on Facebook. He doesn't even commiserate with his fellow prophets at Presbytery. No, in spirit-enabled practicality, this man says, well, where did it fall? <laughs> Taylor, the shepherd, keeps his cool in a time of a crisis. And if he does, the sheep will stay in the flock. If the shepherd panics, the flock will scatter. God is bigger than all the stuff that happens in life and in ministry. And so, brother, trust and obey. As the old hymn says, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Your office requires radical obedience to God. It doesn't require you to be successful. It does require you to be faithful. And you'll have to trust the Lord as you do so. And speaking of trust, that really is a huge part of, of the life you're entering into. I've seen you 
trust God in challenging times that you and your family have been through, Taylor. I've seen that you do indeed uh, trust the Lord. But I know from experience, and I know you've been around the ministry long enough to know as well that things will happen that will push you to the very limit of your trust. And you will feel unprepared, distracted, alarmed. And yet you must be a man of God in that moment. You will feel if you could just have another hour to prepare a sermon, you could get it right this time. But you've got to go preach. God will be your enable, enablement. That's what I would tell you. And I've had to learn that the hard way through stumping my toe in the ministry many times. But there comes this critical existential moment in every pastor's life where you simply have to trust God will provide. You can't always be perfectly prepared. You should always be diligent. Don't expect God to cover up laziness. And I know you won't. But we have to trust in God's provision. We have to, to go to the troubles that come into the life of the church. We have to seek out the crises to help resolve them in the church. You know, in uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, when everyone else was running uh, away from those towers, it's well known now that police and firemen ran towards the danger. Elisha doesn't walk away from the problem here either. He, he goes down by the river. He says, in fact, take me to it. Take me to where it happened. And you're going to need to have the same pastoral instinct, Taylor, to go towards the trouble instead of away from it. The Lord will go with you and go before you as you do that. And now I would say perhaps the most important thing that I would say to you today when you arrive at that scene of trouble, whether it's a crisis in someone's life, an automobile accident, someone in the hospital, a session meeting in a time of difficulty or turmoil, as you walk into this pulpit on a typical Sunday morning, like Elisha, you simply must expect that God will be present and God will be active for you. And by for you, I mean for the sake of his name and his church. God will act. Elisha believed God would help. He doesn't waver. He doesn't wonder. But guided by God in that unique way that those Old Testament prophets were, he proceeds to call forth the power of God to raise an iron axe head that had sunk to the bottom so that it floats like a bar of soap, as they used to say many, many years ago, like ivory soap. In the end, in our ministries, we are ultimately entirely dependent on God. God will do things that only He can do, as when His Spirit enables people to hear with the ears of their hearts, not just the ears of their heads. As when he calls us, those who are spiritually dead to be raised into new eternal life. As when he convicts sinners of their sins and comforts those who are wounded by his gracious presence and promises. 
Brother, this is your freedom from worry as a minister. This is your liberation from undue self-criticism as well. To trust that God is for you and that you serve a gracious God who will act uh, to advance the kingdom through your ministry. Another name I know you're familiar with is a very popular writer today, D.A. Carson. And uh, Carson certainly has his finger on the pulse of ministry in the church. And D.A. Carson writes this. So many aspects of ministry demand excellence, and there are not enough hours in the day to be excellent in all of them. He says, when I was a young man, I heard uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones comment that he would not go across the street to hear himself preach. Now that I'm close to the age he was when I heard him, I'm beginning to understand. It is rare for me, he writes, to finish a sermon without feeling somewhere between slightly discouraged and moderately depressed that I have not preached with more unction, that I have not articulated these glorious truths more powerfully and with greater insight, and so forth. But I cannot, he writes, I cannot allow that to drive me to despair. Rather, it must drive me to a greater grasp of the simple and profound truth that we preach and visit and serve under the gospel of grace and God accepts us because of his son. I must learn to accept myself not because of my putative successes but because of the merits of God's son. The ministry is so open-ended that one never feels that all possible work has been done or done as well as one might like. There are always more people to visit, more studying to be done, more preparation to do. What Christians must do, what Christian leaders must do, is constantly remember that we serve our God and Maker and Redeemer under the gospel of grace. Amen. This is the secret to liberty in preaching. A powerful, gracious God is on your side when you preach. God will raise the accent, not you. We are ordaining you to a position that will require you to trust God to be God. Yet, this same almighty God uses means, doesn't he? He doesn't have to use means but he likes to use means. Elisha throws a stick into the water next to the sunken axe head. It's as though the properties transfer from the floating stick to the sinking iron axe head. It's a lot like the time the staff uh, that Moses raised uh, before the great waters or like the seven skin washings of the leprous general Naaman like the mud and spittle Christ Jesus rubbed into the eyes of the blind man. The stick was not really necessary, strictly speaking, not necessary at all. Yet God is pleased to attach his supernatural power to human actions, as though he were teaching us that his power is typically hidden. It is hidden in such modest, faithful actions as preaching and teaching the gospel in a local church. 
and innumerable other secondary causes. So what this means for ministry, Taylor, is that while only God can cause the axe head to float, what I mean to say is only God can truly gather and save and sanctify his people, this mighty work of the Lord will happen in the context of the things that you will do for the people of God. So while it does not ultimately depend on you, praise God, Everything you do, every, every sermon, every prayer, every visit, every vote, all of it yet really, really matters, praise the Lord. And my real goal, brother, is that you would minister in the felt pleasure of God. That's what I really hope for you, Taylor. If you ever have seen the great movie Chariots of Fire, the story of the Scottish missionary Eric Liddell, who ran in the Berlin Olympics, but refused to run on the race scheduled on the Christian Sabbath. Great movie made about him. One time, and this is recorded in the film, by the way, when, when I saw that movie in 1982, I left law school the next day and entered seminary. When a reporter asked him, uh, Eric, when you run, you throw your head back and smile. Why do you do that? And he answered, and I wish I could say it with a proper Scottish brogue. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so I would have you feel the pleasure of God in your obedience as you minister faithfully. Brother, and now in a moment, dear fellow minister of the new covenant, you know, of course, that we are vastly more privileged now even than Elisha was of old. I mean, we have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the full affluence of the Pentecostal spirit. And in these last days, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He draws near. In this time of the, the interregnum between the first and second comings of Christ, let holy Elisha be the floor of your expectations, not the ceiling. And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working that in you which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be praise and adoration through all the ages. God bless you, friend, as we set you apart to serve in this most holy office on earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your promise to accompany your word, to speak to us, to help us understand both the solemnity and the joy of an ordination service like this. Thank you for our brother, but thank you even more for Christ Jesus. Thank you that he dwells with us until the end of the age. He will tend to his church and supply its needs. He will see that the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of the church on earth. So we pray for that advancement here in this place among these people at this time. 
We pray for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.